Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. Last week I talked about the long struggle for justice here in the United States, the progressive agenda, if you will, has never been, and I dare say never will be achieved. The struggle for justice, however, never stops, though sometimes we ourselves do need to stop for a little holiday. We sometimes need to stop, take a breath, and say, ah, to life, yum. Our summer theme, as I said earlier, is long light of summer, finding rest, wonder, and joy. And that's what I want to talk about today, finding rest, wonder, and joy, despite it all. It's not that those of us who identify as progressives and humanists don't like most American things like baseball, Chevrolet, and apple pie, as long as the Chevy is electric and the apple pie is organic, we're fine with it. <laughs> and we do enjoy, too, rest, wonder, and joy from what the philosopher John Dewey called the familiar furniture of the mind. That's what we want to rearrange right now. John Dewey was one of the signers of the first Humanist Manifesto back in 1933. Now, most people know a little something about Dewey because of his theories of education. Like the nowadays more famous Maria Montessori, Dewey was what's known as a constructivist. Constructivism is a really complex idea that boils down to a fairly simple formula. Maria Montessori, I think, put it best the mind remembers what the hand does. The mind remembers what the hand does. The central claim of constructivism is that we human beings construct our thoughts by taking action in the world with our fellow human beings interacting. Constructivism can be used in ways way outside of the classroom, learning to play a musical instrument, learning to drive, learning to cook. All of those things are learning by doing. No, you don't get to watch a YouTube video and then go out and swim. Dewey even considered democracy a constructivist activity, and that's what I want to get at a little bit today. He wrote this about democracy in 1916, quote, a democracy is more than a form of government. It is primarily a mode of associated living of conjoint communicated experience. So a mode of associated living, association, of conjoint communicated experience. We're talking with each other. Sure, constructivist philosophy does get a little bit complex, but what to do in order to do it is not complex. We do democracy, and we do it by living in association with others and communicating our experiences with each other, and in this way, we co-create reality. That's Dewey's big point. 
By living in association with each other, we jointly create our reality. Now, notice that I can rewrite those words from Dewey if I want to talk about religion. Humanism is more than a form of religion. It is primarily a mode of associated living, of conjoint communicated experience. Your religion or your philosophy, if religion doesn't sit comfortably with you as a word, it's something that you do. It's something we do. We associate and we communicate. That's how we join in community and jointly work to see reality and how we can change our collective reality together. John Dewey believed that what each of us experiences as reality is co-constructed. It's one of his claims. And he wrote a book titled Art as Experience. I don't recommend reading it because it's almost unreadable. Dewey was not a brilliant prose writer. But yes, art is an experience that, it, that we create by doing and looking at and experiencing art. It's experience all the way down for John Dewey. When we realize that we are constructing our reality every moment of every day, we also realize that the quality of our experiences are also constructed. We can be anxiety-filled, that's one way to do it, or we can relax. Now to examine this idea, take an extreme example. Think about mass murderers for a moment. When we examine the motivation of mass killers, their philosophy, if you will, we discover that what they hate and how they hate and how they go about deciding on their actions have a lot to do with co-created realities. They don't make it up on their own. Nowadays, most of those co-created hate-filled realities are online. But that's merely a crime of convenience, if you will. A hate of convenience, if you will, plucked from the anxiety-fueled, hateful realities communicated by others. When you stop to think about it, mass hate is a product of mass communication. Mass hate is a co-created reality. You have to buy into it for the hate to grow. I'm going to use simple examples today because it's a holiday weekend. <laughs> Adolf Hitler was a product of the radio's effects on mass populations. He was able to co-create hate with hundreds of millions of people through the medium of radio. Nowadays, it's just that we've got a heck of a lot more channels to fill with hate or love. And let's face it, hate is an easy emotional trigger. That's the easy one to communicate. In the face of the too easy creation of hate, our collective job is to co-create love and peace and try to counteract the hate. Given the reality of human nature, our job is considerably more difficult than simply sitting around manufacturing hate. But it's what we have to do if we're going to change the world, which is, yes, the point of what we're doing. It doesn't mean we get to kick back and let ourselves off the hook. Mutual respect, mutual understanding, tolerance, acceptance, even love, these are a lot more difficult to co-create 
exactly because they are not primal reactions like fight or flight. But that doesn't mean we can stop trying to create understanding and tolerance and acceptance and even love for ourselves and for others. Liberal religion in general and humanism in particular have come in for a lot of criticism for being individualistic. Now this is a misunderstanding concerning what individual conscience means in the context of communal action. It's a misunderstanding exactly because humanists know that we co-create reality in association with other human beings. It's hard to love alone, after all. Individualism doesn't have a place in our lives of, because we believe that we are co-creating reality, a sociable and loving reality. Now, I'm taking big, easy examples, but uh, yeah, let me do another one. Uh, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. He's a classic lone wolf. Or is he? Think about it for just a moment. He saw industrialization irreparably harming the natural environment. We know that because he wrote a really long screed about it. Well, that's not really such a bad case, is it? And there are clearly constructive and positive ways to go about saving the environment. But what did he do? And it is what he did that mattered. He killed people in order to call attention to his concerns. In his hate-filled, confused mind, he attempted to co-create a reality with others by maiming and killing them randomly. Not a brilliant way to convince people of anything except fear. His actions were morally reprehensible. And he got to the place of reprehensible murder because his motivation was solipsistic and individualistic in that he chose to force his reality on other human beings rather than trying to co-create some kind of reality. Fact is, lone wolves are not nearly as alone as even they would like to think. Lone wolves and Dewey would tell us this, are communally created just like anybody else. The difference is whether we listen to others and communicate with others, co-create with others, or merely attempt to force them to see our reality as we see it. One is an anxiety-filled, uptight sort of created world, or we can have a relaxed one, which is what I recommend. John Dewey was correct about that co-creation constructivist thing. The question then is what sort of living and conjoint communication we choose to sustain us. And paradoxically, each of us must choose a reality as we co-create it. It's, yeah, you gotta build a ship while you're sailing it because we get one chance at life. For humanists, that reality in its ideal form includes such things as love and acceptance and multiculturalism. Our reality includes sharing the planet and its richness with other human beings, other sentient beings, and with future generations. We humanists choose to live in a sharing, loving reality, not a mistrustful, hate-filled one. 
We choose this as our preferred political reality, and we choose this as our preferred subjective emotional reality. What John Dewey teaches is that we choose our reality. Each of us chooses it. Each of us chooses between fear and hope, hate and love, mutual co-creation as creative or as destructive. And this summer, I invite us to choose co-creation through listening and sharing and communal conversation. What can we learn from each other? The question is better phrased, we, what can't we learn from each other if we actually listen and realize we are creating reality together? The reprehensibility of the current right-wing seizure of power here in the U.S. is its refusal to talk with us, its refusal to co-create, its refusal to embrace the values of a co-created democracy. And yeah, John Dewey would say, that's a really bad idea. Let me repeat those words, he said. Quote, a democracy is more than a form of government. It is primarily a mode of associated living of conjoint communicated experience, end quote. Now, let's set that idea beside the quote that I was using last week from the philosopher Theodore Adorno. You remember it is, quote, the need to let suffering speak is a condition of all truth, for suffering is objectivity that weighs upon the subject, end quote. If democracy is about associated living and co-creating our shared reality through communication and doing together, then democracy depends upon listening to those most affected by political decisions. It's really pretty simple, but it's also overlooked a whole lot. That was my point last week, and this week what I'm saying is we can do that by spreading calm rather than anxiety in ourselves and in our shared world. Be the peace, we often say. The many religions and philosophies human beings have devised have quite different advice for how to remain calm in the face of challenges, but those challenges uh, well, sometimes they're natural disasters, and sometimes they are human-created disasters, as we know. As I mentioned last week, in the 1930s, when the world appeared to be breaking into two camps, fascism and communism, the early humanists chose a third way to democratic socialism, which, as they saw it, preserved democracy and the co-creation that democracy does, but that was also actively committed to redistributing that wealth so that all citizens have the necessities of life, a shared life in a shared world. Because of our commitment to improving the lives of everyone, not just our own little selves, and because of our commitment to saving the planet and its living things, for us, engagement is not optional. And that can get awfully tiring sometimes. Commitment to high moral purpose and engaged citizenship are not optional. We know that. Basic to humanism is that a good life is one of purpose. We accept the work that it takes to make a shared reality after the image we believe reality should be shaped as. How do we pursue justice while staying grounded and calm is the question. 
because it's awfully hard to watch those screens of various sorts and see what's going on just now. One way I think about it is to distinguish between, in my mind anyway, a good mood and a good life. Uh, a good mood and a good life. There's quite a difference between those two things. A mood is a very paltry and passing thing. As I've mentioned before, I suffer from clinical depression, have uh, most of my life. So my moods are not entirely in my control. I know that. I can be depressed on a beautiful sunny day when everything's going fine because it's the chemicals in my brain. Those are moods. Those change and pass and change again, just like the weather. Sure, it's more comfortable to be in a good mood. Yeah, I'd take that any day over a bad mood. But like the weather, mood is always vari variable and ephemeral. A good life, to the contrary, is sustained and it's a sustained sort of co-creation. As you know, I like reading the Stoic philosophers for my inspiration. Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor, uh, has this to say about that. Meditate, he says, meditate. The intelligence by nature is content when it is acting justly, he says. This is tranquility. So know which direction you're going, equating contentment tranquility with med uh, meditation and acting in a just manner. Yes, I'm working that in that direction. The implication that Marcus Aurelius is driving at is clear. You don't have to be out there doing something every minute, but be headed in the right direction of the good life, acting in a moral way. Orienting our lives toward doing justice is sometimes enough, because it has to be. Marcus Aurelius also wrote this, quote, in one way humanity, since I am human, he says, requires that I do good for humanity and put up with other human beings. He writes a lot about that, being a Roman emperor. He didn't like people very much often. We all know that he's saying something profound there. Doing good is sometimes a lot easier than putting up with other human beings. But he goes on to write this, quote, but because some people make themselves obstacles to my acting ethically, I sometimes grow weary and unobservant of humanity as if people were the sun, the wind, or wild animals. Sure, these can get in the way, he writes, but they can't change my dedication to purpose since I can adapt and stay focused, end quote. So being human requires that we do good for humanity. Yes, I wouldn't disagree with the emperor on that particular point. Being human also requires that I put up with other human beings. And no, I won't disagree with the emperor on that one either. And yes, because some people are obstacles to what I see as ethical action, sometimes I see other human beings as merely there, like the weather, not as my fellow human beings. That's always a mistake. He goes on to write, quote, the mind is capable of shifting and changing, making every stop a go. By so doing, every obstacle makes the way clearer. Every roadblock clears the road, end quote. Now these lines are often oversimplified, uh, translated as the obstacle is the way. Uh, Marcus Aurelius didn't actually write the obstacle is the way, but he did write, every roadblock clears the road. 
Every roadblock clears the road. A fairly good thing to think about when we have a summer of pretty well losing a lot as progressives. When others get in the way uh, of what each of us considers to be ethical action, we can learn from that opposition and we can find a way forward in love, acceptance, and in calm. On this 4th of July holiday, when we commemorate the American War of Independence, we do well to remember that from the beginning, most citizens of this nation have not been asked, as John Dewey would put it, to co-create the reality of the United States. As Theodore Adorno put it, suffering was not allowed to speak. As progressives, we are committed to doing something about that every day. We are also committed to exploring and living the good life, one of rest, wonder, and joy, despite it all. We can create a reality of rest and wonder and joy as well, here among ourselves and in the larger world. When I teach future chaplains who are going to be going into some very ugly situations in hospitals, I teach an old truism uh, of hospital emergency rooms. It's very simple. Calm is contagious. Calm is contagious. We as chaplains, we don't have to cut anybody, stick anybody. We don't do anything except go in there and be calm in a place where a lot of uncalm activity is going on. But calm is contagious. And this summer and always, May we be the calm. May we co-create a reality of calmness. And may that calm be contagious. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.